Good morning, Vietnam! Welcome to the first episode of That's a Fact with Sam and Mason. Today we will be talking about the most scientific movement of our time, the Flat Earth Theory. We will talk to the leader of the Flat Earth Movement, the one, the only, Mark K. Sargent. He's a celebrity both in and out of the Flat Earth Movement. He's been on hundreds upon hundreds of podcasts. In- Hello? Hey, it's Mark Sargent. Hi, again. Are, are you recording right now? Uh, I can, if you wish. Alright, that would be great if you could. Alright, I have turned on the button. You, We are now recording. Uh, of course, we can edit around, so you can say whatever you want. Yeah. It's no big deal. Alright, so, Sam's here with me. Hey, how are you doing? Hey! Yeah, um, yeah. And then this, uh, my teacher is also here, Mr. Shark. Hi, Mark. Thank you so much for doing this. I'm Mason and Sam's teacher. We're, we're doing a podcasting elective. And <laughs> so they want to interview on their podcast. Is that okay? Absolutely. Awesome. Okay, Mason's prepared some questions for you. Okay. So, uh, in your in your documentary, yeah. uh, after the last scene, it shows you wearing those glasses. Oh, those those neon those neon glasses I got from Amazon. Yeah. yeah uh, are those no, cool? I'm gonna go get a pair of those. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Next question. Um. So, how how did you how did you discover the flat Earth theory? I discovered it because I tried to shoot down the the theory back in 2014. So I had looked at just about every conspiracy. I, had, I have an opinion on just about every conspiracy you can think of, and I was bored. And everybody in the conspiracy world hates Flat Earth. And so I thought, you know what? I've never really looked into it. I'm going to look into it. And I thought I could disprove it in a weekend. And then uh, nine months later, uh, beginning of 2015, that's when I said, you know what, I'm going to make a series of YouTube videos called The Flat Earth Clues and kind of put it out there on the Internet and see mm-hmm. what happens, you know, see, see if it gets shot down. And that was four years ago. And here we are many conferences later and I don't know how many interviews and how many meetups. And in fact, after like next week, I'm heading off to a flat earth conference in london and then jumping over to stockholm and then back to the states and for the big one well there's another one in south carolina and then the big one in dallas texas so all right oh and i'm sorry to to the first the the first one i i didn't hear it the 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 first time the the neon glasses all you have to do is type in uh neon glasses into amazon and i think they cost all of like 15 dollars and nice and the, the whole reason I got them was because I knew that Patricia Steer was going to be wearing an actual ball gown. And no matter what I wore, no one was going to be looking at me. So I <laughs> thought I could beat her with technology. And so I got this neon set of glasses and a bow tie, which, you know, some people will use like for prom and homecoming. And uh, and the yep. room was dark enough that it worked. And uh, that was, in fact, that was one of the shots they used for the poster in the um uh for the movie Mm -hmm. so in your documentary i see that a lot of people went up to you and asked you oh are you mark Sargent? how many people uh recognize you on the street a lot more now um before patricia steer had me do video work with her 
it was mostly audio. People would know me for my voice. You know, that's, I mean, I, most of the stuff I did was audio, including this. And, but after Netflix bought the rights to the film, uh, I mean, beforehand it was like on iTunes and Amazon and YouTube Red and Google Play and stuff. But I, I did not realize that basically everybody under the age of 30 owns Netflix. So once Netflix came out, yeah, I was, I, in fact, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, I was flying to a conference in New Zealand this year and a guy was going through the aisles, you know, because they hand out food constantly during those long flights. And he go, he was handing out bread and he goes, you want any bread? I go, no, I don't want any bread. He goes, you sure you don't want any bread? And he's looking right at me and I go, okay, fine. I'll take a couple of those little garlic things. He goes, yeah, you want those garlic things because they're flat and round. <laughs> and it's like, what? And I look at him, I go, really? He goes, yeah, yeah. And he, yeah, he absolutely knew the documentary. And, and so, yeah, I, I get that all the time from, from people. So I, I don't go out as much as I probably should. Uh, I was wondering, how long did it take to make the documentary? The documentary itself took seven months to shoot. And just, you know, I didn't, I didn't actually shoot it. I was just the protagonist in the film. Uh, it was shot by a company down in Los Angeles, down in Hollywood, called Delta V Productions, really small, bare-bones production house. And we started filming in April, of end of April, beginning of May 2017. And they finished shooting December 2017. And we did our first film festival in April, the Toronto Film Festival in April of 2018. So it took it took about two or three months to edit and seven months seven months to shoot. All right. Um, so you have a book called The Skies of Limit. I haven't read it, but uh, where could I find it and how? Uh, what like how can I get a hold of it? Okay, The Skies the Limit. Uh, Flat Earth Clues: The Skies the Limit is on Amazon. All you have to do is type in Flat Earth Clues into Amazon. You'll find it. Um, and it's published for, by a group out in London called Boogles Publishing. And in fact, it's funny you'd mention that because uh, my second book, which is coming out next week, is called Flat Earth Clues, End of the World, which goes, it's kind of a recap of everything that's happened, how we got here. You know, it's, it's for anyone that's missed the last four years. It's like, okay, here's the crib notes on how to get up to speed. And that'll be on, that'll be on Amazon as well. First of all, congratulations on your new book. It's coming. It's coming out next week. Yep. Yep. Um, next week. Is there any like special stories about behind the curve when you were filming it? Uh, yeah, yeah. The um, like for example, when when we first started, the they didn't even know if they were going to make it. They just flew up here and they said, "Hey, well, you know, you want to go out for pizza?" And so I went out with them, uh, the director, and. Uh, the later the producers came up and we we talked for, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes. And he realized, you know what, let's just grab the cameras and start shooting some stuff. And so that first scene where I'm on the beach kind of just talking, that literally was, that's chronologically correct. That was, that was absolutely true. Um, there was also something else which I thought was interesting, which is the, by the time we got to the end of filming, the directors really didn't like... Uh, they didn't like us very much in terms of the topic. They liked me just fine and the people just fine. They didn't like the topic. And that was because, you know, there was, um, and I, I know, I don't know how old you are, but, you know, there was a 12 year old uh, guy who asked me a question at the conference in Raleigh. 
and they were really concerned about that. They were like, oh, I don't know if kids should be le- you know, learning this. <laughs> it's like, why? Why? It's, it's just an alternative way of thinking, an alternative way of looking at the world, and, and happened to be something that all cultures looked at at one point or another. So I thought that was that was kind of interesting. Um, other than that, nothing too outlandish. You know, we we shot at the eclipse. Oh, okay. Here's one for you, and, the, and this goes into the power of editing. Like for example, when when they were showing us at the eclipse down in Oregon for the the great eclipse of 2017, they uh, they were you know they were hyping it up. You know, like all the mainstream news. It's like oh, a million people are going to show up in in um, uh, Salem, Oregon, and they didn't. In fact, the streets, we, we were walking around that evening, you know, shot a lot of footage in the streets of Salem, and it was absolutely empty. And yet, they didn't, they didn't tell that story. So, again, there's, you can do a lot with editing. Oh, sorry, last story uh, uh, of editing, um, the green button shot, where I supposedly was at the Space Center down in Houston and didn't hit the green button. That was just, they found that by accident, which was, they, they figured, well, you know, because when they were zooming in, when, when you're editing film, you make sure the people leave frame and you keep your camera moving. That way you have something you can edit be, behind. And they thought, oh, hey, why don't we just take out the part where Mark actually hit the button and make him look like he missed an obvious giant green button. And they did. And they apologized to me for that. But, you know, they, they didn't ever let it be known in the film. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, did you receive any backlash from making the film? No, 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 not as much as you might think. I mean, the like for example, the Flyers community hated it, no question, because you know we don't. Most of the Flyers community doesn't like hearing dissenting voices, so we didn't want to see an astronaut up on screen or a scientist or a psychologist or any of those guys. Um, but when I went to the film festivals and I went to several of them, uh, and I didn't know how it was any. You know, most of the audience are are not flat earthers, and it generated a lot of interest, a lot of questions like, like you guys have now. And it was, that was interesting. So it became kind of like a Trojan horse for us. It generated so much interest in the topic that people say, Oh, you you know, would you have changed anything if you would have gone back and, and remade the film? And I said, well, if I had to go, if I, you know, not that I had any power over the original editing, but if I had to go back and change anything, I'd probably change the ending where they took a shot at uh, Jaronism with the uh, with the laser experiment, because that was completely out of context. But again, you know, it was their movie. So, you know, we just signed the waivers and said, all right, do with it what you want. But the exposure was totally worth it. The exposure was totally worth it. Mm -hmm. So like you were, I think you were talking about the... uh laser experiment yeah uh, that was in, i believe that was the final uh scene of the movie yep. where yep um can you explain that to the viewers or listeners about what that what that was exactly oh yeah yeah but, well of course by the time we got to the laser experiment which was a, almost 100 minutes into the film and the film was only about 100 minutes long uh, most people were so blown away by the whole topic that they didn't even know what went wrong. And I know this for a fact because I asked all sorts of audience members. I go, do you know what happened with the laser experiment? And they go, no, we don't. But something was bad, right? Something went wrong. It, it, it's, I, go, I go, yeah, but do you know what it was? They go, no. So the whole concept was is that if you shoot, a laser is perfectly straight. Uh, you know, uh, gravity isn't going to bend a laser beam at any great length at distance. It's just, it's just too light and, and too fast. And the, the experiment was, okay, if a laser is perfectly straight, then you should be able to shoot over a flat piece of ground 
and hit something at range uh, if you can get past the whole beam dispersal thing, you know, because an average like a like a laser pointer that you buy down at the drugstore, I think it spreads like two feet per mile. So what that means is if you're if you fire that laser two miles away, that little pinpoint is going to expand to something that's four feet wide. And that's what Jaron ran into with the first test. But what he didn't realize, what, what everyone's messed up was, is that Jaron never looked at the ground during the daytime. So he didn't even know if it was flat. He didn't even know if he had line of sight. He just took the film crew out there during the, you know, just live. Let's just do it live the first time. It's like, what? You, you, and we didn't know this till after the fact. And so the, the short version is, is that Jaron never even had line of sight. So no, that laser was never going to hit until he raised it up over the, the berm of the hill he was shooting over. Uh, but again, the editor wasn't going to explain that. And they, you know, they just, they left it as kind of like a funny thing at the end where it's like, oh, well, Jaron obviously proved the curvature of the earth, which he didn't. Um, how many podcasts have you been on? Uh, I don't, including mainstream interviews. I I lost count really. I stopped counting after about three hundred. I think I tried to count up until I think in the two hundreds, and like my YouTube channel, I think I've got two hundred and something posted. But there's a whole bunch that I couldn't record, or for whatever reason, like the network wouldn't let me post. Like like for example, I did a National Geographic interview, and for copyright reasons, I'm not even allowed to put it on my channel. I'm not allowed to reproduce it. Uh, and that goes with a lot of, in fact, like the documentary, I can't, for obvious reasons, I can't put that on my channel, but hundreds, hundreds and hundreds starting almost immediately in 2015 and continuing now. <laughs> in fact, in fact, what's funny is we, we, in fact, not just, not just podcasts, but the, like, like I did a full blown interview. We made the cover of a popular science magazine just this month. It's on newsstands right now. We have like an eight-page spread on that, and I'm not even allowed to read the article and put it on my channel. I tried doing that with something something else, and they said, "Nope, sorry, we're gonna block it." And so, copyright's a, a pain. Mark, you mind? I want to ask a question just because I'm teaching this class to middle school students on podcasting. What would your advice be to my students as far as becoming successful podcasters? If you had to give them one or two important tips oh tips um try to be a couple yeah there's a couple things i could recommend i mean you know i've got my own youtube channel and it does pretty well even though i don't i mean i do some podcasts um i've got one called strange world uh the one is be yourself don't try to copy others because eventually people will don't try to copy formulas necessarily that other people do Try to create your own path, your your own niche, whatever you enjoy doing. You know, there's an old saying which I uh, I enjoy, which is if you if you find a job you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And it's true even with podcasting. Find something you like talking about, and if you can talk about it with passion and conviction, other people will jump onto that and they will realize that people love to hear enthusiasm. And so whatever it is, I don't care how stupid or weird you think it is, you know, I'm talking about flat earth, go with it, you know, and, and don't, again, don't, don't try to copycat any, anything that's already out there. Cause it's been done a million times. Um, that'd be yeah. the, that'd be the first thing. Keep it keep it somewhat interesting. Uh, you know, it, it, yeah. I mean, if you are really enthusiastic about potato salad, 
that's great, but I don't know if a lot of people are going to want to hear about potato salad unless you have something weird to add <laughs> about a potato salad. Um, and if you're going to do it, uh, try to do it with two or three people also, if you can, because it, there's, it's, it, it always, there, there's a reason why radio stations do have two or three or sometimes four or five people in a room and make sure you, you learn, you know, those people. And I know, I know I'm talking to, to younger guys here, um, which is make sure, you know, you have a, like a, like a rapport, you know, you're, you're looking for people, you're looking for people that can, that have the, what's known as the gift of gab. They could just chat, you know, and you'll know this because if they're like, if they're hanging around each other off air, they can talk for hours, you know, they get on yeah. a subject and they can like talk and talk and talk and talk. If you have that, if you have, if you know a group of guys like that, or you know, you know, friends like that, that you're like that in, in smaller personal settings, that works. Uh, because people love, you know, dead air, you know, dead air, of course, is, is the bane of, of podcasts, but that's, that, that'd be the, the big things to recommend. Uh, keep it original. Um, keep, you know, keep, try to keep, make it interesting, of course. And I know that's easier said than done. And make sure that you have a good group of people that just love talking about stuff, anything and not, and, and willing to go down paths that they wouldn't, that, that they wouldn't normally go. And of course, try to keep it politically somewhat politically correct because nowadays i mean 10 years ago i wouldn't have said that but nowadays you've got to play it pretty straight you you can't just go off the rails you know don't go after demographics don't you know if you're going to talk about conspiracies keep it fairly light if you can because there's some conspiracies we, we aren't even allowed to talk about flat earth i'm just lucky you know that that it's a topic that you know it's still fair game so there you go. Yeah. Um, so I have another question. Yeah. So do you believe anything that NASA tells you? No, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> uh, and here, no, there's it's that's it's probably the easiest answer. I was gonna, I was trying to think of a longer way of explaining that, uh, but the, the short answer is no. The reason is right. the reason is because and and. And I know, you know, being an American, you're not really supposed to say that, you know, go rah, rah team, wave the flag. NASA's great. Um, but at the same time, look, the, there are secrets that are kept in the military. We, we keep secrets all the time. I mean, and I'm not talking about the obvious things like, you know, spy programs and, and counterintelligence and stuff like that. But, you know, even our own Air Force pilots aren't even are not allowed to talk about their missions, even with their families. They used to back in the day, but not anymore. The, the, it's everything, everything is classified. So when it comes to NASA, all they do, what I'm saying is that the entire reason NASA was built was to keep our world under wraps, for, for lack of a better term. And that means Mercury and Gemini and Apollo and the space shuttle program and the STS program and, the, um, and of course, the ISS. Uh, the, the moon footage has aged horribly. I mean, I could send you just a handful of images, uh, you know, not even, they're not even special images. They're just from the NASA archives. And I say, look, there's gotta be at least half a dozen things wrong with this photograph that it is not aged. Well, the video is aged terribly. The still photographs are way too perfect for, for what they are. And, uh, you know, the, everything that NASA does, let me, let me end it with this. Everything that NASA does is about a space beat like a drum beat, which is they don't care if you read the article, 
They don't care if you even look at the headline too much. All they really care about is if you look at the little thumbnail or, or image that they have and maybe, maybe look at the headline that goes just a few words that goes with it. Meaning, uh, oh, hey, there's an interesting thing that could be a face on Mars. Uh, we're reclassifying Pluto. Oh, look, here's a new spot on Jupiter and so on and so on. They do that for one reason, and that is the subtext, which is face on Mars, you're on a globe, Saturn globe, Pluto globe. Everything, everything they ever say is reinforcing that you're on a globe. That's all they care about. That's, that's been the goal since minute one. That's the reason why there's a globe in almost every classroom in the United States and industrialized nation. I have not watched your documentary. You have not? How dare you, ma'am? How dare you? No, but anyway, I'm, I'm but that's okay. Have you, well, have you even looked at my channel? Do you know anything about me? I could be a serial killer. Why are you letting these kids talk to me? <laughs> Seriously. Wait, what happened? Can't hear you guys. <laughs>